When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. What is up? Welcome to a very, very special episode of On the Corner. We are here with Jamison Tyone. I mean, really just an honor for you to take time and talk with us today. We can't thank you enough for doing that. Um, we wanted to start off, I mean, probably the first time you kind of came on the uh, on the national scene was that that high school appearance, 19 strikeouts and, and a no-hitter. Did What was your approach to that game? Do you, do you remember that game at all? Or? <laughs> Uh, I remember it a little bit. Um, I, I think that's probably one of the games that definitely got me drafted where I was drafted. I was like 95 to 100. Like, I think I walked the first batter of the game and then struck out 19 to the next 21. And then, you know, no balls left the infield. And like, this is Houston, greater Houston area baseball. It's competitive. And, um, yeah, I mean, one of those games where you just have it all working. And, um, you know, there was a big crowd of scouts at that game because I was towards the end of my senior year. So, that definitely helped with my draft position. <laughs> yeah, were you? Did you feel like you were throwing really good curveballs that day? Was it the same kind of approach that we see now in high school, or was it just, hey, I have a ninety-five mile per hour fast one, just going to throw that? Um, I don't know if you'd believe me when I say like I got hit hard when I just got fastball heavy in high school. Mm-hmm. I was had kind of a flat fastball, and um, you know, if you're not if you're not you know, mixing in everything, especially in Houston baseball, like it sounds crazy, but ninety-five, it's hard, but like people had seen 90s before sure, yeah. like pretty much every high school in our area had a dude that was at least 88 miles an hour so like hitters were pretty geared up and on time so I definitely was mixing a lot was it was it the I mean we remember of course your big curveball essentially when you came up that's what got us really excited mm-hmm. um was it that kind of curveball in high school did you also I mean I remember also you were you were messing around with changes we actually talked a little bit on Twitter about that was it the same repertoire did you learn things along the way that you still have now um, I've definitely tinkered along the way. Like I've left things, gone back to them. I've switched, tinkered, and messed with grips. But my curveball is one thing that stayed pretty consistent. Um, my curveball actually might have been a little harder in high school. Um, it was a little more of a spiked, like knuckle, true, like knuckle curve. It was probably like eighty three, eighty five, eighty six. My curveball now is more like a bigger, like eighty one, eighty two. And I made a conscious effort in pro ball to have a bigger gap between my pitches. Um, like ideally, I go curveball change up slider, fastball, and have like exactly. you know, everything yeah. covered in between. Love it. Uh, do you remember the first time that you threw 90 miles per hour? I mean, that's a huge moment, of course, when you're growing up. I do. Uh, so we do scrimmages um, every year in high school before, you know, our season starts. And we were playing against Spring High School, the alma mater of Josh Beckett and some, some big guys. And so I made varsity as a freshman. I was like 85, 88, like I sat around 85, 86. But, you know, that's the time of, like, puberty, and I was growing and getting stronger, and um, I started going to a place to work out. So first scrimmage of the year that year, I come out, I was, like, 90, 92, my sophomore year in February when it was cold, and everyone ran up to me after, and they're like, dude, you were over 90, and, um, you know, I, how could I forget? Because it was a big jump, and but back then, you know, when you're growing and getting stronger, like, those jumps just happened. Right, yeah. Just out of the blue, it just all of a sudden clicks one day, and there it is. Yeah. You're throwing 90. Why not? This is, below 90, this is the dream. 
Um, but yeah, so you have, of course, an interesting history, um, just your, your journey right now. I remember even, uh, I loved in that video that you put out with the Pirates, uh, talking about you want to be, I think, a 50 war or wins above replacement, yeah, yeah. to quote you exactly <laughs> yeah. in that video. I love that because that's, I mean, that's, you, sh- you should have those expectations. As you come into the majors, you want yeah. to be ambitious with it. Um, so obviously this is your second Tommy John. Is there something different about this process for you that is saying, okay, you know what? I think I'm going to be even stronger this time when I'm coming back. How much time you got (laughs) for real. Um, so like I'm a student of the game. I love baseball. I watch it all the time and going into spring training last year. So I had a really good 2018, but I didn't love where my delivery was headed. Um, but it's hard, like when you're getting results, it's hard to like truly make an overhaul of your mechanics. So once I started feeling elbow pain last season, before I even knew I was getting Tommy John, I was like, okay, I, I need to you know, start fixing this. I need to get my direction a little better, use my backside a little better. I need to shorten up my arm path a little more. Um, so I'm getting a little off topic here, but like I think those are the things that are going to lead me to, to being healthy and the longevity and, and the success going forward. Um, yeah, I got a lot of great years ahead. Great. Yeah, uh, we, I definitely agree that you have a lot of great years ahead. But so you like how are how are you utilizing? Um, you know, you talk about being a student of the game. How are you utilizing some of these advanced metrics in the offseason? I imagine you have a rapsodo that you probably use. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about that that kind of training program. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's incredible the technology that's coming on here. I mean, our new pitching coach Oscar and our bullpen coach Justin Message. They're huge into kind of marrying the two, the, the feel and the art and the beauty of like just pitching and then the numbers that go behind it and backing up your feelings and stuff. So that to me is just super intriguing. Like you can feel something as a pitcher um, and then you can have the numbers to back up and like basically just confirm why you felt good or how it felt good. And the, yeah, it felt good. Your spin efficiency was great, whatever. Um, so like right now where I'm at, I'm not using a rap set. I'm just playing catch at 90 right, to hundred yeah. feet, but we're doing a little pocket radar to make sure I'm in the pocket of where I need to be. Um, I'm not, you know, overexerting myself. Um, I do constant video work. We have an, we have a edutronic camera now set mm-hmm. up in our bullpen. We've got, a, you should take a look when you're out there. We've got a flat screen at our bullpen now, oh, wow, um, with direct feedback. So you can throw a pitch and take a look oh, nice. or you're not supposed to look at it every pitch, but like, if you feel something, you can be like, I want to see that. Right. See right. What it looks like. So then, I mean, how do you feel about, like, there's so much, it's such a mental prospect thing. It's such a a mental part of the game, right? Pitching is such a mental thing that people don't really talk about enough. How do you balance those two things? I mean, like you said, sometimes guys will throw a pitch and they're going to look at the screen every single time. I imagine that's not tough to take out onto the mound with you, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, for me personally, like, I used the Rapsodo, good examples, when I was learning my slider in 2018. I had it in all my pens, and the goal of it was not for me to get, like, feedback on every pitch, because then I feel like you kind of become a slave to, like, needing feedback. Like, I need that constant confirmation of what I'm doing. Um, So the way I was using it was, like, hey, bookmark that pitch, or, like, hey, flag it, flag it. Like, if I felt something I liked or didn't like, I'd be, like, flag it good, flag it bad. Let's go back and take a look at exactly why I felt the way I felt. Um, so like for me, that's the way I use it and you can use it on all your pitches. Um, you don't want to become over dependent on it, but, um, you know, how can you marry like what you're doing and what you're feeling with the numbers? So that's actually, I'm actually really glad to hear you say that then. So it's actually for you, you kind of felt like, oh, that felt right. Right. Flag it and let's see if it actually matched. Oh, see, I don't think a lot of people talk about that. That's actually really interesting. Yeah. So like, for example, let's say I throw a slider that like might back up a little bit and might go down the middle. 
but I'm like, man, I loved that shape. Like that felt clean. It mm. felt healthy. Like I felt like I spun the heck out of it, yeah. but it just didn't get to where I wanted it to go. Like, let's see if that's actually backing up how I'm feeling. So like that might be a pitch I'll get a swing and miss on, even though it was middle, but I'm creating spin and I'm creating deception and it's healthy. Um, whereas like I might throw one down and away hit a spot and be like, ah, I didn't love that spin. Maybe I forced it there or whatever. Well, so, okay. So about that slider though. So I remember actually, I got to reach out to you, I think about a year or two ago, talking about it, because I noticed three straight games, Glasnow, you, and Chad Cool all suddenly were like, hey, we're going to throw a ton of sliders now. Yeah. And I just, all I can think of is you guys in the club will say, hey guys, I think we should just throw sliders more. <laughs> that might be a good idea. And, you know, we talk about Glasnow actually taking a step before that trade to Tampa Bay because of that. Yeah. Um, Chad Cool, who I, I mean... I, I, I love cool exactly and he started yeah. using it more and then he hit Tommy John I just felt so bad for him because yeah. he was just starting I think to figure that out yep. um, was there that conversation I mean you talked about I think Kling Kershaw being involved with your mindset yeah. of that I it's weird because I see why you would think like dang these dudes just out of nowhere all started <laughs> yeah, right. throwing it but like contrary like I know a lot of people don't wouldn't believe me but like we weren't forced we weren't put in a box and just told here with the pirates like you have to throw sinkers or whatever it's just like it was part of my evolution and I started throwing a slider and I was kind of scared to just break it out and then I started to get more confident more confident than I had a game against the Cardinals um so something when I game plan you know for a game I'll tell my catcher the last thing we'll look at all the numbers we'll go through all the scouting report we'll be ready to go but I'll say hey man I'm trusting you like whatever you see early that's working freaking let it ride right, yeah so if my slider looks good today like so anyway i go out there for this game and you know he's thinking that in his head i told him how i wanted to sequence it what it should look like he loved what he was seeing and he was just like throwing down the slider all day nice. so it wasn't anything like we had really said i want to throw 30 percent sliders mm-hmm. it was more like if it looks good call it and i early got swing and misses and mm-hmm. we just started throwing it I think that was May 27th. That's yeah. what I'm going with. Yeah. Uh, I just remember that, that was, those are the three days. I, I, I've quoted May 27th yeah. so many times to me because that actually was a real change in that season for yeah. you was when you started utilizing it. Uh, so quick question about that too. I mean, I know there's so many tangents I want to go here. Uh, one is we're talking about in-game. So you're saying scouting reports. For some, that's different, right? So this guy's really bad at fastballs up and in. This guy's good at this. But at the same time, you might not be necessarily great at that. So how are you weighing all those metrics? What are you looking for? Yeah, that's a really that's a really good question. That's kind of the constant battle that we play. So, ideally, like the best in the business, like say a Max Scherzer, like you can game plan with him, and like he really doesn't have a weakness. He, I'm sure he's such a perfectionist; he'll tell you he does. But right. like, he can throw fastballs to every quadrant. He can throw a couple different shapes of sliders. Changeups disgusting. Like, he doesn't have one where he's like, ah, bro, let's stay away from that. Um, so, ideally, that's the goal you want to get to. You want to be able to, you know, throw all your pitches in every count. Blah blah blah. But um, I pretty much say, like, I don't want to give too much of I'll say, like, <laughs> I pretty much look at, like, you know, the average lineup, the big league lineups, everyone can hurt you, but, like, I'll look at, like, six guys, five, six guys, and be like, I can just do my thing, sequence, sure. I can just yeah. beat you. Like, mm-hmm. if I'm on, I can beat you no matter what. Right. If I'm sequencing and, you know, executing my pitch, like, I'm not as worried about what your weakness is, like, my strength is better than your strength. Yeah. Right? And then there's, you know, two, three, four hitters in the middle of the lineup. So, I mean, like, for example, let's say I'm facing, like, I don't know, the Cardinals. Like, I'm going to take a lot of extra time and look at, like, Carpenter and Goldschmidt. And, like, those are the guys where I'll say, like, maybe even if it's my weakness and it's their weakness, I need to try to exploit their weakness. Mm-hmm. Like, if Carpenter's not hitting change-ups well, that's the guy I'll be like, okay, I'll throw him a change-up, but I'm not going to throw, you know, a 4A up-and-down AAA guy a 
2-0 changeup, if right, that makes right. sense. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Goldschmidt in there. I remember talking to Gallon. He was like, I need to get Goldschmidt, or at least I have to be careful with him because I can beat Ozuna. Right. Which I found hilarious because yeah. we're like, I don't know who's better. But then yeah, he's yeah, like, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I do not want to give him to Goldschmidt. Yeah. I'm okay giving him to yeah. Ozuna. So yeah. I love that. Can you talk about, too, like I feel like you've been around long enough. Do you feel that there's been an evolution in sequencing? I mean, I know Nick has this term, this kind of Blake Snell blueprint, right? Which is like fastballs high and breakers low. Whereas before, 10 years ago, it seemed more of an east-west game. Do you feel like the game is kind of shifting to that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, big time. Um, It's a conversation that's had around here all the time. Like, I'm out there in the pen today watching, like, Musgrove and watching Mitch Keller, and it's like, they'll just go fastball up and throw a curveball off of it. And it's like, it just, I'll have a righty in the box, I'll throw a fastball down and away and throw a slider off of it. Um... So it's something I like wholeheartedly bought into. Twenty, it just it makes so much sense. Like, if I can help my pitches blend together and look like each other for longer, like, why the heck wouldn't I tunnel and you know, right. use effective velocity and pitch sequencing? Um, so it's a conversation we're having all the time for sure. Yeah, we loved uh, Joe Musgrove talking the other day just about how he's like, hey, you know what? Now I'm making it a priority to get my four seamer yeah. up and then get your uh, your curveball down and increase the spin rate yeah. with the uh, the new the new coaches and organization here really. And I uh, I want to talk more about the repertoire stuff. But I can't forget the fact that I really do want to hear the changes here in Pittsburgh because. We talk about for a while it used to be this mentality with Clint Hurdle and Ray Searage about three pitches to end in at bat. Um, first of all, was that something you heard when you first came up? And then now with this new organization, is there more of that emphasis of moving away from that sinker heavy presence? Yeah, I mean, I definitely heard like get hitters out in three pitches or less. That's a stat they were interested in, which like, yeah, like I agree with it to an extent. Like as a starting pitcher, you want to keep your team in the game. You want to go deep, but at the same time, like if that if you're a slave to three pitches or less, like you're not getting the most out of your stuff. Um, kind of like what I, we were talking about with like six, seven hitters. Like there's a couple hitters in the lineup. Like I wouldn't mind moving away from two or three pitches, put you on the right. ground. But then like there's other guys and situations where like you have to pitch for the strikeout in today's game. You have to be able to get a strikeout. Um, so yeah, we're talking about like even the mentality of throwing swing and miss stuff. Even if you get guys put in play, like you're going to throw with a lot more conviction. You're going to have more confidence between behind what you're throwing. Cool. So um, the transition there is that you, when you first came up, I was really excited that you were starting to throw a two seamer band. You were really effective at that, especially um, when you talk about people where they're best at. I think for you personally, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. arm side. Yes. You're really good at just nailing that, and then especially with yeah. two seamers going off the plate, so good O swings on that, which is exactly what you want out of a sinker. Now, with this transition, I'm starting to wonder, are you moving away from that sinker more to those four seamers? Yeah, so that, that's super interesting. You guys did your research. Uh, <laughs> no, so twenty going into 2018, I had it brought to my attention. Like, So if you just take away the hitter, watch me in a bullpen, I can throw 95-mile-hour sinkers and hit my target on arm side right. nine of ten times. Like, I can really just – that's a pitch I'm so confident in throwing – but the hitters give you the best feedback, and if they're giving you the feedback that it's not a great pitch, then it's not a great pitch. So the numbers from 2017 were that in that down and away box, if you're looking at a K zone, that's a good, that's a safe pitch. You're taught like down and away is always safe. Right. Lefties were clubbing me for like average exit velo of like 98, like OPS of 1200 down and away. And I was like, that's so weird because like to me, that's my best pitch. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, like they showed me the numbers that like inside the lefties all the way across the board, top to bottom. Average exit velo was none over 80. OPSs were four, five, 600, whatever. So that just brought to my attention. It's not that my sinker's a bad pitch. They never told me like, hey, don't throw your sinker. It was like, you need to protect your sinker. Yeah. Like, oh, if you're throwing it all the time, 
they're going to lean out. They can late barrel, you know, shoot right. it to left. But if they're worried about inside, they're leaking their hip, that makes your sinker way better. So I don't know the numbers. I'm, I'm kind of talking on my butt. But the, I think in 2017, my sinker was, like, worth minus, like, negative runs. Or there was a stretch where it was worth negative. Yeah. And then in 2018, it went back to being one of my best pitches. And nothing changed. It just was used more effectively. Nice. And less. So, so Flaherty, for example, is a really good example, I think, that people overlook of having a sinker that is used effectively. He threw it about 10% of the time in that amazing stretch that he had in the second half last year, and it was because he was just throwing it exclusively off the plate and then mixing in the four-seamers, and they weren't expecting that late movement and then not over the zone a lot. So especially with your movement on it and the way that you actually can pinpoint that well, I can very much see that as kind of like the rare offering to get that early out when you need one. Yeah. And then, then pair it with that four-seamer. Yeah, yeah. It's like for me the perfect fastball mix is like 50-50, 60-40. Like it's not a huge – like I was probably 70 80% sinker for a while. Um, so 2018 I made sequencing a priority. I started pitching lefties up and in way, 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 way more. Um, but like, I always knew in the back of my mind, like, Hey, that sinker down and away to a lefty or in running into a righty, like that's there, that's never going away. Um, so yeah, like a guy like Jack Flaherty is super interesting because his sinker to me, like when I watch him pitch is a totally different pitch. It's a little slower. It's got like a lot of depth. It's like a way you can really tell the difference between. So like, I love to watch the way guys use their stuff. Definitely. I. Yeah, I mean, it's cool to hear you say that because I feel like we we spend so much time in the numbers, and it, it, it's awesome and frustrating to hear your to hear you say like, yeah, it was a sequencing thing, and then it changed because that doesn't show up on the stat sheet yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we can't do anything about that. So it, it's really cool to hear. Do you are there any other guys that you right now that you're just around the league that you just love watching? Oh, dude, I'm. <laughs> I lo- I love baseball. So like uh, you know in the minor like in the low levels in the minor leagues for whatever reason it's not cool to love baseball. Not to say there's not guys that don't love it, but like around clubhouses by the end of the year it's like yeah, is the season over? Like man, like I'm not watching the playoffs. Like that's not cool. Like I love the playoffs. I go to I go to the playoffs. I watch every pitch of the playoffs. Like that's how a lot of guys on our team are that way. Like we love talking baseball. We love watching. So I mean, how can you not love watching Scherzer? I think DeGrom, DeGrom and Garrett probably have my two um, favorite sets of mechanics, like guys that I watch and like actually can, like Scherzer I watch and I'm like, this dude's a freak. Like, <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't throw like him. I don't have stuff like him. Like he's just such a different animal for me. But when I watch Garrett and I watch DeGrom, I'm, I can like really learn something from watching them. And we like, I mean, we talk about their mechanics here all the time. We're always watching. Um... Sneaky guys I like watching. I like watching Flaherty. He's not as sneaky anymore, but he's one of like when he's pitching against us, I'm out there watching. Mm. Um, man, I feel like I have a lot of sneaky guys. Oh, I like Brandon Woodruff a lot. Mm-hmm. I like watching him. Um, That's four seamers at the top of the zone yeah, all day. Yeah, his stuff, yeah, his stuff's great. Um, man. I've got a lot of guys. I mean, like, I love the like Verlander and all those guys, yeah. but I'm trying to think of dudes where not everyone would would really know them. Maybe I'll think of some more. Well, we love we love Musgrove and Keller as well. Yeah. Um, we're really excited for them this year. I uh, just about um, you're talking about mechanics. I actually remember you seeing inside of your uh, uh, your video and you were talking about beforehand was you might be changing it a little bit. You have to relearn them because it's been so long. So can you talk about that process? Anything that you feel like you've changed? 
Oh yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've changed a lot. It would be interesting to like lay over my mechanics from even just playing catch now to. 2018 beginning of last year um i'm working on like my hip hinge my load so we've been talking about like the core velocity belt a lot um so my load looks a lot different into my legs i've been kind of taught like you're tall use your height stay tall and fall like get the angle on the hitter well that kind of took me out of my backside um and then by getting out of the backside like my arm path got really long it got behind my body and so it's like a chain that all goes together and i've pinpointed that my lower half is what made my arm get long. So it's not my arm path. That's not what I necessarily wanted to do with my arm. It's just what I had to do to throw hard and figure it out. Um, so I've shortened my arm path. I'm working with a connection ball. Um, I've got a little throwing sock I use when I'm ready. When my elbow's ready, I'm going to start on a weighted ball program just before I throw to like kind of remap my arm path. Um, but like, I mean, the differences now in my ball flight and the way it's coming out and like the lack of any pain in my elbows telling me I'm doing the right thing. That's great. And I, I, you know, first of all, thanks again. And I know we don't want to take up too much of your time. So I think we just have one or two more, if that's cool. Uh, the last one that I have is one that I just enjoy asking pitchers. Is there a particular sequence or at bat in your personal history that has stuck out to you? It could be a good one. It could be a time a dude just like rocked you. It could be in high school or whatever. Is there one that comes to mind? Yeah, there's a lot. Um, <laughs> I threw, we ended up winning this game. It was on like the trade deadline 2018 against the Cubs. I threw Javi Baez. Like he has insane career numbers against me. It's half dinkers, broken bats. Like I've bounced a curveball he hit for a single last year when he threw threw his bat. Like he's just, it's, I think he's a comfortable at bat. Like he sees me well or whatever. Um, But I hung him an 0 2 curveball. And like the book on him is like, you know, make him get antsy, like whatever, make him chase. And I threw him an 0-2 curveball, and he freaking smashed it for <laughs> an 0-2. 0-2 home runs are just you can't. Oh, yeah, have, yeah, can't you have can't that. have that. That can't happen. But he like smashed it, and it was a three-run homer. And I ended up like bearing down, and I think I went like six and two-thirds, and like kept it at three runs. But that's one that like on the negative side, um, man. On the positive side, anytime I can throw a backdoor uh, or front hip like sinker to a lefty. So I threw my last start of the year. 2018, I struck out Tucker Barnhart looking on a two seam that started like Adam and just ran. I think we gift that. We definitely. We, I'm yeah, pretty I sure guess, we gift yeah. that. Yeah. That's one of those where I I felt sexy. Like, <laughs> like, we felt sexy for yeah, you. Yeah. But uh, you just wish you can you know hold on to that feeling and repeat it every time. Um, but man, I mean, there's nothing better than like a really well executed curveball for a strike. Um, I threw Ronald Acuna's slider to strike him out in 2018, also towards the end of the year. That like I tried to throw a little hesitation into my delivery because he's so dang good. You have to like try something else. Sure. He ended up hitting a homer off me like the next at bat or two at bats <laughs> later. But I love pitching against guys like that who are like tough at bats and super talented. Um, one more mm. uh, Soto on the Nationals. Um, you know, you think young guy. He you know, you look at him in the box, you're like, he's trying to punt me, he's trying to hit a homer or whatever. I threw him last year, 2019, runner on second, we were shifting him a little bit up the middle, and I threw him, like, a 1-0 or a 2-0 backdoor breaking ball, which, like, I don't give up many hits on my curveball, let alone, like, behind in the count. If I throw my curveball for a strike behind in the count, usually guys just kind of spit on it. It's a strike, tip their cab. He, like, hits through the six hole, like, at shortstop, just, like, goes the other way, stays balanced, stays back, and, like, hit it to left, and I was like, dang, dude, that's... That's 15-year vet. That's why this kid's going to be so great. 
Um, so yeah, I remember more of the bad than the good, but any strikeout feels good. Hey, that's how it should be though. You should be remembering more of the the mistakes or the failures so that you can change them as opposed to just hanging on to the top stuff. Um, all right. I'm going to try and do one question. That's like a lot about your repertoire because obviously that's, that's my main thing. Um, so we've talked in the past about your changeup. You were initially having a four seam grip when you first came up. It, it, it didn't really have the same kind of depth that we normally see from them. I remember transitioning to more of a two seam grip with that. Uh, now, with your entire repertoire, though, adding that slider, and you're talking about the velocity gaps, the changeup doesn't necessarily have that same impact that it right. used to. Uh, we've seen a lot of guys in the majors go to splitters. We've seen uh, uh, Glasnow now do it, which is a lot of talk as well. And I'm actually notoriously a guy that hates splitters, but honestly, I look at your repertoire and I see a, a slider that you miss bats with, not so much with the curveball. Yeah. The splitter might be the answer that you're looking for there. Has there been yeah. a conversation about it? Um, so in 2018, when I kind of got rolling with the slider, I used it in a couple different ways, like a 1-0 ground ball pitch. I, it was a swing and I, like I could throw it 3-2, 2-0, um, So it did a lot for me. And I, the change-ups just never come super easy to me. Like I'll have a stretch where I'll throw it, I'll get some strikeouts on it, swing and miss, and I'm like, dude, yeah, I finally found it. And the next one I'll start cutting it again and – um, so the changeup to me just doesn't make sense all the time. Um, whereas like curveball slider, I can spin the ball. Like I'm, you know, rehabbing Tommy John, you could put a ball in my hand and I could throw a curveball for a strike change up. Like I would have no clue how to, I'd have to like really grind right, and right. work on it. So we've messed around a lot with grips and coming back, we're definitely going to have to come up with something, um, you know, we've talked. I've talked with guys about like that Fosh, like the spread out. That's words. what. Yeah. I used to throw that. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So we've talked about that. Um, yeah, I've never thrown a splitter or anything, but I would love to have another pitch I could pair with my sinker that kind of comes out the same. I'm so happy you said Fosh, by the way. <laughs> no, no one says Fosh. It's great. Um, well, I mean, honestly, you have. You have also with the sinker too. It's kind of three point five pitches in your repertoire. We've seen so many guys like Bieber, for example. It's actually just three, and that's success because you have two pitches that they're missing under the yeah. zone. That curveball, it's interesting because I want, from an outside perspective, I see the slider as that is the pitch you should be turning to. Bury that down and into lefties all the time, away from righties. I should just live there. And then curveball has been acted as you said, like I want to throw that behind the count, get yeah. that because they don't hit for singles. But do you ever see that as like, you know what, maybe I should be turning to that uh, curveball a little bit more to get whiffs under the zone? Yeah, yeah. So I find that like my curveball gets more whiffs under the zone when I throw it a little harder and it's a little tighter. I found that like when I started throwing my curveball like slower and like a little bigger, that that's why I don't get as many swings because it kind of it's like a freeze or a buckle. So I have to either rely on getting a take on that or, you know, it is under the zone and they're kind of buckling and just taking it and leaving it and saying, you know, I'll hit your next pitch. Um, so I think like curveballs under the zone with a little bit tighter, harder break. Like some of my strikeouts last year, especially to righties, I get more chase when it's a much tighter, harder 84, 85, mm-hmm. as opposed to the big 79, 80 mile an hour curveball. Nice. I love it. Uh, I think that's going to do it for us. I mean, seriously, you, you took like 20, 30 minutes out of your day to talk to us. We really can't yeah. thank you enough for it. Thanks so much for taking the time, man. Yeah, this has been incredible. Really, best of luck with all your rehab, and uh, we'll be we'll be with Rune for you, of course. Thanks for having me.